Welcome to Heart's Content. I'm your host, William Combs, bringing you a listening experience devoted to learning about people and the things that make them tick. You're listening to Episode 3, FIFA IRL. This episode is going to be focused on learning about soccer, as well as the intricacies behind this sport. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, Gerardo Tejada. I butchered that. I always do. I'm sorry. I did good. <laughs> uh, go ahead and introduce yourself. So, I'm, uh, I'm Gerardo Tejada. Uh, I've known William for a few several years now. We went to school together. Yeah, so we actually met in uh, through our computer science program at University of Texas. Um, and during that time, uh, one of the key things that stood out about uh, Jer, as I'll call him so I don't butcher it, uh, was his love for soccer. Is Would you say that's the thing that you're most passionate about? Yes, I'd say as far as like hobbies or pastimes go, soccer is definitely uh, my biggest passion. Awesome. Uh, what what kind of got you started in that? When was like the first time you remember like really getting into soccer? Well, I mean, since I was a child, uh, my dad was really big into soccer. So I was like watched games with him mm-hmm. and I started like following like national teams like the World Cup. I rooted for like El Salvador, which is where I'm from originally. Um, and um, it was all it was very casual. But uh, once houston got a soccer team a professional soccer team from major league soccer that's when i really started following it like a lot more um i became a huge fan of the houston dynamo and um i started looking into other leagues around the world as well and that further um got me into the uh, the sport um along with that uh, around that time i I, um, started playing fifa which is uh the main uh, series soccer game for for basically any console um and um i basically it was a thing i i i got every every year i i played like that's if i was doing anything that wasn't like score related i was probably playing fifa so i want to i want to dive into some of the things you you brought up but before i do that have you ever felt like you had to stop yourself from talking about soccer to people or felt like people wanted you to stop talking about it i i know this is a funny question because i think i know kind of where you're gonna go with it uh but have you ever felt that oh definitely all the time like like since i was in school like with my friends um i would bring up soccer and they're like oh no one cares about soccer this is the u.s no one really likes soccer here and even today at, like in at work like anytime i bring up soccer they're like oh there he goes again but i'm kind of even though like um like the the people that I'm closer with that initially that maybe may have not liked soccer or cared about it, like I've kind of sparked some interest um, in the sports for them. Right. I, so you didn't bring it up. Uh, thank you. But uh, back when we first met, uh, you were super into soccer. You played FIFA all the time. And I remember giving you a hard time a lot because you were like, oh, I like video games. I play FIFA. And I was always like, that's not a real video game. Obviously, I feel like I've grown up a little bit. Um, and I feel bad for doing that, but this is this kind of like what I want this to be about is getting to the root of why people don't want to talk about these things and making it something people want to talk about again. So you sort of mentioned it, but do you think that you've introduced a ton of people to soccer? I know me, you've introduced to soccer and I've grown to love it a lot more. Um, but what if, how else other than just talking about it, have you got people into soccer? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, as uh, Not only did I like introduce people to like, FIFA, 
even people that may, may have not really liked um, video games, they still like, I still got them to actually enjoy a sports video game, which was soccer, obviously. Uh, and along with that, I also, um, while I was in college, I started a intramural soccer team and I got a lot of my friends to join. Most of them had no idea how to play the sport, other rules or anything related to the sport. Uh, but but I, I gave them an introduction on the sport. Uh, they, they they played on the team, and then they most of them ended up like loving it afterward. Yeah, it was it was actually really crazy. I feel like you got a ton of computer science. I want I'm gonna say nerds because we were uh, people who were just like anti sports. Uh, you had people ranging from like uh, our friend who was very anti organized sports uh, to just someone like me who was just like I don't want to do the physical activity. Um, and you got us out there on the field and like playing. How did that make you feel like introducing all of us to it and having us take to it for, I think we played for two and a half, three years. Yes. Um, I mean, it, it felt amazing because not only was I able to play on the, on the, on the team, but also I was able to, to introduce a sport to people who would have never really even probably ever experienced watching, playing or, or anything related to the sport. And they actually enjoyed it. So that was, that was the best part of it. You got into uh, sports because of your dad, because he's from El Salvador. Um, and then coming here, a lot of people would bring up, we're, it's not big here in the States. Do you think that's been a huge barrier to getting people interested? Because there's not a ton of U.S. interest in soccer? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, at, because there's definitely a lot more exposure to other sports, like the big three, baseball, football, basketball. Um so because of that, uh, a lot of people never really get to see anything related to soccer other than the World Cup. And the World Cup's every four years, and it's not, while it's really important and big, it's, there's a lot more to that than in soccer. I know I, I watched some, some World Cup stuff, but like I said, it was every four years, right? Um, with Houston getting the team, it helped spark a lot of interest in Houston. Um, currently, Austin's about to get a team. Uh, what do you think that's going to do to soccer in the austin area i think it, it will it will be uh, very beneficial to austin because th there are currently zero professional sports in austin so basically every sports fanatic in, in the city will be like oh we finally have professional sport let's let me i want to go check it out so you're gonna go check it out and hopefully become a longtime fan of, of the team for a city where without any sports it, it, it will be great to actually see that the sport that's followed is, is soccer. So that's definitely going to shape just Austin's sports uh, in general. Do you think that with it being a new team, it's going to come with a good team? Or are they going to pull from other teams? Or is it going to be a brand new team? Well, it, um, it's actually going to be the uh, Columbus Crew, which is an existing team right now. It'll be um, it, more than likely the players that they currently have will come to Austin unless there's like a trade that, that occurs. Or, and they'll probably buy some new players to try to get more people interested, maybe some high-profile names. So it's not like a new team, it's just a moving team. Right. How, how does a new team form, essentially? Okay, so a new team, uh, there's this process, it's called, which is expansion, basically. Um, uh, there's a vote that has to happen th uh, uh, throughout the league, and uh, different cities have to bid for it to, become, to get a team. The latest teams, uh, Atlanta United and LA, uh, LAFC... Um, they were actually really huge. Like Atlanta, they actually uh, keep continuously buy young players from South America. They got a, a a prominent South American coach, and they're they're by far the best team in the league at the moment. 
and it seems like that um they they have the framework of what other teams should follow um they they're getting like 70,000 uh, plus people at their stadium at the moment that's something that no other MLS team could, could dream of at the moment but that's where everyone's pushing for you mentioned that we're bringing in people from outside the United States to play on some of these MLS teams um i know you've mentioned before that for Europe, they look at MLS as a place where people go to retire. With these people coming in from uh, other countries, it, is it a place for them to start, or is it becoming a, a more prominent place that people are going to respect more? It's With teams like Atlanta, it's definitely becoming a more respectable league because um, they're getting young players and developing them into their prime, and hopefully they'll be able to transfer them to Europe to big teams for like a huge uh, amount, which is something that you would have never expected from MLS, like even a few years ago. Yeah. So yes, they continue to bring older, high-profile players to Phillips um, stadiums, but the majority of the best players at the moment are, are young. They're under 25. So that's basically where teams need to, to go to make the league more... Um, Viable? Yes. How common is it right now for players to go from the MLS to uh, Europe? And I don't know what that league's called... Um, so what's Europe's league called, and then how common is it for them to go from the States uh, to Europe? Okay, so there are, there are uh, many leagues in Europe. Each country has uh, multiple leagues. The first division of each um, country is the main one, like the Premier League in England, La Liga in Spain, the Bundesliga in Germany, etc. But um, currently, uh, MLS does export a lot of players, but they, are, like, they, are, they don't go to like, the biggest teams in the world right now. That's why people don't really see that MLS does export players. They, they only see see it if it's a headline, and it will only be a headline if they go to a really big team, and that's where MLS needs to go. That's the next step. I know one of the things that has really stifled, I think, um, the United States from really getting into this is seeing it in high schools and middle schools and even like getting kids involved in soccer at a younger age. Do you think with more MLS teams popping up and the team coming to Austin – we'll see more younger uh, generations getting into soccer through their school. Um, like, we didn't have a soccer team at my high school. Um, do you think that that atmosphere is changing a little bit? It's definitely changing. Um, the entire system's actually changing because in, in the past, we've relied on college soccer. Like, um, people go to high school, they play soccer, they get scholarships, they go to college. But the problem with that is that the best players, uh, there's, there's a pay-to-play system. So basically, um, if you have money, you have the opportunity to play soccer. If you're good when you're a kid, you don't have the money to develop and become a star or whatever. So that, that's definitely changing. Um, academies are definitely becoming more accessible with MLS uh, because each MLS team has an academy where they're, they're able to develop younger players and bring them and make them pros before they even go to college. So that's definitely uh, helping out. Uh, and it, you will see it more in the long run. You keep saying younger players... What's like the age range for soccer players in their prime? Because uh, I know it's different from like football where I feel like football, you can go late 30s, early 40s, and you can still play football. Uh, I might be way off on that, but I feel like that's the case. Soccer, it's a, it's a lot younger, right? Yes. Uh, a prime in soccer is probably between 26 to 28. Uh, that's the, the, the best years. But um, to get there, you really have to start developing at a young age. Mm -hmm. Like... Um, in in the U.S. in the past, if you if you went to college, you basically started you, you became a pro at 22, 23. That, um, compared to Europe, where they're becoming pros as teenagers, 
there's like a huge imbalance there and that's we, we see it on the field we we see that our players aren't developing as much as like european players for instance so do you think that by taking and essentially cutting out the college experience part of it and getting players in before they go to college and to the professional area that will start getting up to europe's standards where we come in at 18 or so and then start playing from there i do th- think that will happen but the academies need to get get to a level where they can develop like 16 to 18 year olds that can compete with like the same 16 year old and 18 year olds in europe um and i think we will get there but it'll definitely take some time opinion question who do you think is the current best in america versus the best in europe and how do they compare Okay, so the best um, American player is definitely Christian Pulisic. Uh, he's okay. actually only 19 years old, so he's a big exception for the U.S. We've never had a player like him before. He currently plays in the German league, um, so he's been developing there for a few years. So he's an example of becoming a pro at, like, 16. Right. You, uh, usually most of our players don't have that advantage that he, that he has had. And now we're seeing a lot of players around his age that... Uh, are also in big European teams are just developing there. And hopefully by like 2026, when we have the World Cup here, they'll be in their prime and we'll be able to compete for it. Um, but yeah, Kristen Pulisic is probably the best um, American player and the best player overall. What's other? From Europe. From Europe. Um, I'd probably start with Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, he's kind of reaching that age. He's like 33 now. Okay. Uh, and so he's definitely above his prime at this point, but he's still competing at the highest level like any team he's in has it has a big chance of winning like they're the favorite to win always uh so definitely Cristiano Ronaldo how much time would you say that you spend researching players to to come up with these and I mean learning about new players when they when they appear on the field um how much of your free time is spent looking into these things definitely a lot because um whether it's teams I follow I like seeing um who is rumored to be coming into the team? Who's rumored to be leaving the team? Um, if there's a new young player that's signed, like I want to know where they came from and how how good they are, what's their potential. So so there's a lot involved considering that there's a lot of leagues and have like a favorite team like in the, all the top leagues. So yeah, there's a lot of my free time that goes into looking up soccer data. I know in baseball you've got a bunch of stats like you've got percentage hits and things like that, art like RBIs and all that jazz and they use all those numbers in crunch are there is there a similar like number system that soccer uses where they track certain stats uh yeah they they do there's individual stats where they track like how much they run um like shots on goal uh, goals uh shots in general fouls uh but also there's like team stats like um how much possession your team had versus the other team um how many shots on goal did you, did you have versus the other team basically was which area of the field was most of the game played was in your defense defensive side your offensive side and depending on those stats um i guess coaches can see where uh, the team can improve on like we we need more possession here we need to defend more i know there's different positions how many players and this should have been a really early question uh how many players are in a field at once uh each team has 11 players um 10 field players and one goalkeeper okay so there's the goalkeeper and what are all the other positions? Okay, so uh, there's the goalkeeper. Uh, um, defense, um, it, you, they us- there's usually between three to five players, depending on the formation. Okay. Uh, midfield, uh, same thing, three to- between three to five players, depending on the formation. And forwards, there's usually between one and three players. 
Uh, okay. So it just depends on which formation your uh, coach selects. And depending on that formation, your tactics for that game change. Uh, some formations are more defensive, some are more offensive. Uh, so basically, uh, whatever you select in the beginning um, will set up how the game will be played. But the coach can change it at any point during the game. If, they, if they're down a goal or two, they're going to change it to be more offensive. If uh, they're winning by like three goals, maybe they'll defend a little bit so they don't get scored on. Is there um is there like a marking system like in basketball? Because uh, I know in basketball usually like you'll find your your opponent and you'll stick to them. Uh, is there a similar thing in soccer? Or is it a little bit more free form than that? Uh, there definitely is. Uh, like if 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 you're if, if you don't have the ball, you basically have to be marking a guy the whole time. Like you don't want a guy from the other team who's open because then they're just gonna pass him the ball. You can't make it easy. You have to mark every every player on the field has to be marked basically. What about soccer is it that really intrigues you most? What's the like the biggest draw you would say for you? I, I think it's just a great team experience. Um, like uh, whether you're defending or whether you're scoring goals, it's just um, great participating in, this, in, in, the, in the on the field where everyone has to work together. Uh, it's not like um, you have offense like in football where you, you basically have the offense. They basically drive that entire drive. Right. Um, here um uh, there's like infinite possibilities in soccer like uh there's no like oh we're gonna go through run this play here so basically just a few players are gonna do something no here um uh there's an in- infinite plays that can happen and um there's many ways that you can get to that main goal which is scoring so to be a good player you can't just be offensive or just defensive right you have to know how to do both Right, even though you you might like be a uh, like midfielders for sure, they have to be able to like run and defend if if necessary, and also be able to like create some plays if they're an offensive midfielder. But even if you're you're a striker, Wayne Rooney, which some some of you guys may have heard of, uh, he's a big, the all time English top scorer who now plays in MLS. Uh, he recently uh, he's he's a striker. He outran a defender and stole the ball from him in in the defensive side. He ran the ball, made a pass, and they scored an amazing goal off of it. And he's a forward, but he, he actually took the responsibility to go defend. And it, it worked, worked out and resulted in the goal. So yes, um, even if you're offensive, you might have to defend. So how you, you went off on this Wayne Rooney thing. How many players do you have in your head that you know a ton about, that you have like these plays that they've done memorized? There's probably a lot because, um, like I said, there's a lot of leagues, there's a lot of teams... There's um, international games too, like with national teams, mm-hmm. and there's some club games as well. So, so players are, ba- are basically the best players are on two t- different teams. So a national team and a club. So you, um, if you're following the World Cup, for instance, you'll you, there's a lot of memorable plays from all the top teams uh, at some point or another. Uh, whether it's like the English Premier League, there's at least five competitive teams there with really amazing players. So there's a lot of players there that you, you just know about that you want to follow that you want to see what plays they do this week so for the national teams they they pull from all the the teams in the country so like the u.s men's national team comes from all over the country where is most of the u.s talent located would would you say so it uh, it depends on it's year by year basis but um at the moment um it's split half between europe and half between mls okay um but um depending on the coach that we get they might try to just concentrate on Europe for now because they're, they're like, oh, Europe is much better than MLS. We don't want the MLS players to be on there. But there'll still be some MLS players on the team and maybe even some players from the Mexican League because we, we have a few down there as well. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they just come from all over the world, basically. So even if you 
come from America, the United States and you go to Europe to play over there, when it gets to national team, you'll still come back to play for that team, right? Yes, as long as you're either born in the U.S., have uh, an American background, whether it's a grandparent, a parent, uh, even if you were born like in Germany, but your your grandfather is from the U.S., you, you, you might be eligible to play for the U.S. as well. Okay, so it's not necessarily citizenship. It's more heritage kind of thing. For the most part, but you just can't go too far back maybe yeah, okay. grandparents probably the furthest you can go but usually okay. the majority uh, it's you're born in that country for the majority of the players when it comes to um soccer teams that i know outside of the one austin's getting and houston dynamo because those are right next to where i live the only ones i ever hear about are um the seattle team seattle sounders and la galaxy would you say those are the two bigger u.s teams or are there other ones that just don't get as much um headlines so those two are definitely big. LA Galaxy is because they're really big spenders. They're the ones that always get like the older European players. Um, and Seattle Sounders are known for having like amazing attendance. They they've had like the MLS re- uh, attendance record for a long time until Atlanta United came and they stole it. But um, yeah, so they're really good. But there's other uh, really great teams now too, like Atlanta United. Like I mentioned a lot. Right. Um, they're just un- unbelievable. They don't even seem like an MLS team because uh, they're so good. Toronto FC, actually, I know they're Canadian, but they're actually really good right now. They're the current MLS champion, and they made it to the final of the Champions League of our region, which is basically like U.S., Mexico, Central America, Caribbean. Uh, unfortunately, they did not win, but they, they put up a good fight against the Mexican teams. So you mentioned Toronto FC being MLS. Is MLS more just North America? Because I feel like a lot of people think MLS, I do, and think United States. That's not the case, is it? Okay, so the majority of the teams are in the, the United States, but we do have three Canadian teams, similar to how like um, the Toronto Raptors of the NBA, they play in the American League. Um, I think baseball also has a Canadian team, the like MLB. So it's a similar situation. We have like three Canadian teams just because they don't have like a, a big Canadian soccer league at the moment. They might get one, who knows? But, um, but they're, they're really good teams cause, because they only have three they're able to like get the best Canadian players as well as some of like Montreal. There's a lot of um, Italian influence there. I, I believe their owner might be Italian, so they get like a lot of good Italian players um, to to go play there. So they've only got three. How many teams would you think that they need before they get their own league? Like, how many teams is healthy for a league to exist? Uh, well, they actually have a few other teams in the second division, which is called USL. Austin will also be getting a USL team next next year, but. Um, I'd say MLS started with 10 teams in 1996, but that's definitely not enough for a, for a healthy league. Um, they would probably if start out at 10 teams and then expand throughout Canada and eventually hopefully get to where MLS is now, but it'll definitely take decades. So we started with 10. Uh, how many teams are there currently? There are currently 23, but there, um, there are uh, Miami and Cincinnati are coming in the next couple of years. And Austin's coming as well. And expansion is still happening. I believe they're going to go to 28 or 30 teams. Um, And then maybe after that, they start... Okay, so one thing that a lot of people don't know about is um, relegation um, and promotion. Most European leagues, um, they have like a a long history and a lot of leagues within their, their countries. Like in England, there are like at least four pretty... Decent leagues, um, the Premier League, the Championship, Third Division, and Fourth Division. Basically, the top teams in the league, they qualify to what's known as the Champions League, which is where they go and compete against the best teams all over Europe. 
and then the bottom um, couple teams they get relegated to the second division. So by getting relegated, they they lose a lot of money and they have to fight their way back into the first division. So it's it's a really big deal in Europe. That's why it doesn't really work in the U.S. yet because owners don't want to lose the money if they get relegated. Okay, so there's like some sort of incentive to keep being as good as they are. Otherwise, another team might take their spot in the league, right? Right, and that's why a lot of people, they're like, MLS won't be taken seriously until they do promotion uh, relegation. Um, I believe that's somewhat true, but I also believe that the U.S. can make it work. I mean, none of the other professional sports have a promotion relegation, so I feel like it's possible to have successfully without that. And would you do you think with the number of teams that currently exist, it's it would be possible at all to do something where if they don't perform, they get knocked down? Because I feel like 24, 25 still seems like a small number. Uh, yes. So uh, most most of the bigger leagues they have about 20 teams, uh, and they stick to 20 teams. Okay. So if we get to 30 MLS teams and there are uh, like 30 plus USL teams already, USL is the second division in the U.S., uh, so some of those teams could become part of the second division and some of the um, lower uh, tier MLS teams could join them and then relegation promotion could work that way. Okay. Okay. So it's at least feasible, maybe not going to happen, but the numbers support it. Essentially. Yes. Maybe it won't happen. Maybe it will happen, but it'll be um, several years from now. What's something that you think people get wrong about soccer or they just don't understand Okay, so the main the main thing is probably they're like, oh, if there's no goals, it's a boring game. But that's definitely not true. Like, you can have an amazing game that finishes 0-0, zero to zero, and that's hard to believe because most people think, oh, the whole point is scoring a goal, which is true, but you could, there's a lot of entertainment that happens just while in the middle of the field, basically. Like, some of the plays that, that some of the better players do, like, they're like crazy. Even if it doesn't result in a goal, like, it still is amazing to watch. How have you breached that with people? When people come and they're like, oh, it was, it's boring when it's a 0-0. Zero, zero. How, how would you get somebody to be excited about a 0-0 zero, zero match? So the only way um, to do that would actually be to actually get someone to watch that game. And uh, they would have to have some sort of understanding of like what soccer is. Because a lot of people think it's just a whole bunch of people running around trying to score a goal, which is not true. That, I guess that's another misconception. Um, like the plays that occur that lead to a goal possibly they they're really cool to watch and you actually have to get them to watch them to get them to understand um sometimes i mean it's very likely that a zero zero game might not be that interesting because it usually is because not a lot of plays were created a goal, okay. goal scoring plays um but sometimes they are and, and they just don't result in goals just like that one time in the world cup where tim howard i believe had 16 saves that's the record for a uh, number of saves in a world cup ever uh, I mean, he didn't get he got zero goals scored on, but that was an amazing game still. Yeah, I I feel like I actually recall that one. Um, he was just like left and right blocking things, and like the crowds were going wild. Um, no, yeah, it's I feel like that is definitely one of those things because especially United States, you've got football, you've got baseball, basketball, where you generally see scores. Like baseball might take a couple innings to get some scores or to get some runs. Basketball, you're constantly scoring, so getting. 80 90 plus games is pretty common and then the soccer to get or like not soccer uh football to get up to like each each score is essentially six points um so you get points really quick whereas with soccer it's when you do it's one and then maybe 30 minutes later you get two for like uh some games so i can definitely see how that 
contradicts what we're used to as far as what the media really prioritizes on sports. Do you think in the next couple of years, soccer will breach into that like top three in the United States or it's that a dream? I think it will eventually just because of the demographic changes uh, that are happening. But um, just overall, I mean, baseball, it's always been the American pastime. But I mean, people are like, younger people are, are watching it less than like some of the older generations were. And soccer is currently one of the fastest growing sports among the youth in the country. Um, so I feel like eventually it might, if it's not baseball, there's a lot of controversy with NFL right now. I doubt soccer will ever pass football in the US, but I feel like there's just certain things that are happening that might push it closer to the top three. Yeah, I, I mean like, especially looking at like Texas, Texas is huge football, like high school football is almost bigger than professional football here in Texas. So <laughs> I can definitely see the barriers that it has to cross to get there. How would you introduce somebody? Do you have a, would you just take them to a game or is there a specific like thing you would show them to introduce them to soccer? I feel like you'd have to at least have them understand like the basics of it. Uh, you don't want to take someone who has a mentality of, oh, they're just running around trying to shoot the ball at a goal because then that's basically what they're going to be seeing they're going to be bored they're going to be watching a baseball game basically so i'd basically give them a, a small introduction on maybe some of the players on on how the teams are doing right now which players to cheer for and maybe explain to them what's happening while the game's ha while the game's going on like so they can get a better understanding of what to look for it's not just watching all the players run there's certain things you should be focusing on right Right. Uh, definitely look at where the ball is and also focus on where it could go next. Like if one thing with soccer is you have to like be able to predict the future. Okay. Um, so a, like I said earlier, there was, there's infinite plays, right? Mm -hmm. So a guy has the ball. He has many options there. Like does he keep the ball and, and try to run it? Does he pass it? Does he cross it? There's like a lot of options. So as a viewer, you have to be also trying to predict the future and be like, oh, he should he should pass it to that guy. Uh, and you, you should be able to like see um, where the goal scoring opportunities are as well. Okay, so there's there's a whole lot more to look at than because because you said you can pass it, you can pass it to any of the other ten players essentially. You can cross it. You said, yes. and that's essentially where you just kick it across the field, right? Yeah. Uh, do it's like change, a, it changes the play basically. Okay, and then um, and then with that, there's certain things that you're just you're not supposed to do. Like one of the things I remember, uh people getting onto all the time was when you're on defense and you have the ball passing the ball in front of the goal because that kind of opens up a play for the offense to push in and there's the ball right in front of the goal essentially right uh so you're trying to like keep it out somewhat but like you also want to get in once you get close enough and so just like there's a lot going on right yes for sure once you get somebody into the the stadium how big does the audience play into enjoying the sport it plays a huge part, honestly, because um, I've been to uh, some Houston Dynamo games where it's a packed stadium, it's full, it's it's a really amazing atmosphere. Um, like when Houston played LA Galaxy when Ibrahimovic first arrived in the league, that was huge because everyone wants to go see Ibrahimovic, even though he's not from Houston. Uh, and L Houston beat LA, by the way. But, um, <laughs> but yes, uh, definitely the audience plays a big part in it. I've been to a lot of games for El Salvador and... Salvadorians go crazy for soccer, even though they're not good. Um, so yeah, the stadium gets loud. Everyone's chanting. It's 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 an amazing experience. Same, I've been to some U.S. games where it's the same same packed stadium, 
amazing experience. Um, but then I've also been to some Houston Dynamo games where they play some of the smaller MLS teams, and the stadium does not get packed at all. It's quite empty, and those games, because it's not loud, and there's and it's not like you're watching on television where there's an announcer talking, so you're basically just watching the field with no one really yelling or chanting. So it's slightly more boring when when the stadium's not packed. So audience is definitely really important. One of the things that I really know that they do in baseball and one of the things I try to tell people about watching baseball is it's different when you go and see a live game. Because uh, in baseball, you've got like crowd chants and different like things that the crowd does um, to like joke with the players or like try and throw them off their game or just like get into the spirit. Are there similar chants and things for soccer matches? Uh, there are. Each uh, soccer team has one or two or more supporter groups. They go in with like drums, instruments, um, and they like sing different like team songs. Okay. And the expectation is for the people around the stadium to do the same. But when the stadium's not packed, it doesn't really catch on. Just like right. a, like a bad wave or something. Right. Um, but yes, uh, there's definitely like different chants. Each team has like a, um, a specific one. Some of the European ones, since they've been around for like hundreds of uh, like over hundred years. Those are more known known than some of the MLS ones, but sometimes they'll just remix a song that's popular at the moment and put the team name somewhere in it. And yeah, if you're close enough to the game, you'll probably try yelling at a player to try to intimidate them. <laughs> Have but you ever yelled at a player? I've been in the area where players are being yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, real evasive. I like it. Um, yeah, so is there anything like really definitive of soccer fans so i know like hot dogs and like you think of hot dogs and like doing the wave and stuff like baseball uh is there anything like real definitive that like is key to the soccer experience you think well as far as food it just depends on where you're watching the game like uh if you're watching a game in new york or if you're watching a game in washington dc it's gonna be different food like it's it's the food's gonna be based on what's local like what the people in new york what the people in washington dc um are eating like in the new um, DC United Stadium, they actually have a pupusa restaurant in the stadium because there's a lot of people from El Salvador there. Wow, so that's amazing. <laughs> I wish Austin had that, but no. Uh, so Austin will probably have tacos. But um, as far as on the field, um, I mean, the wave happens in every sport. Um, there's a lot of stomping and a lot of different chants that they do. I feel like a lot of people tend to think when they think soccer. They think like Vuvuzelas and stuff like that from all the World Cup coverage. Would you say that's a common thing to see at a soccer game? Or it's not because because it became so viral and annoying in 2010. Um, like a lot of stadiums won't even allow you to take one just because it was too many people were annoyed by it. Was it a thing before that or? Um, not really. I didn't really start hearing about it much until um, until that World Cup. People will take horns. Um, okay. And I guess they sometimes are confused for Vuvuzelas as well. <laughs> In some leagues, like uh, people will take, which is this is really bad. It's happened like uh, with some Mexican teams. Um, they'll take like laser pointers, which is really bad, and they'll like point it at some of the players to try to like get them to. Wow. Yeah, um, but most most of the time, that's definitely banned. Yeah. Everyone has different <laughs> soccer culture. If you go to South America, oh, I guess like um, like smoke bombs and stuff. Like you'll see like stadiums full of smoke, but it's it's not dangerous or anything. But you'll see that a lot, especially yeah. like in South America. Um, but yeah, every, everywhere is different. If you go watch a game in South America, it's a lot different than you watch watch a game here or in Europe. Because uh, some fans, like in South America and Europe, they're pretty crazy, like for right. soccer. <laughs> like you'll see more fights. You'll see um, people just acting differently, throwing things on the field in some countries. It's it's a lot different than in the U.S. 
We so I know one of the things that Houston Dynamo does is they have people with like um, streamers essentially, like orange and white streamers that they'll throw on the field. Would that be like the equivalent of like the smoke from other countries? Yeah, um, definitely streamers. Um, you you see them all the time on the fields, and even the smoke thing though, I've seen it in Houston Dynamo games. Like when when the stadium gets packed, so it just depends right. um, on the game and which type of crowds going. Sometimes they'll host international games in the Houston Dynamo Stadium, like maybe. Uh, Honduras versus Argentina or something, and you'll have like a different crowd go to those games that would typically not go to these Dynamo games. Are uh, are fans generally pretty uh, divided over which team or which country they support? Essentially, so like if they are in Houston and they support El Salvador, would they still go to the Houston Dynamo games, or are they pretty like territorial? Like, yeah, they definitely would because uh, they'll know like national team like countries they're different than a like, club. So, um, so Houston would be more comparable to say, like, if you're, if you're from Mexico, you might support like Chivas or Club America or Toluca. Um, so some of them, they're really hardcore, um, Chivas fans, for instance. Um, so you might not really care for Houston Dynamo, but like, let's say, um, they bring in a player from Mexico or they bring in a player from El Salvador that's going to attract some like Salvadorian fans some Mexican fans. That's kind of what's happening in Houston right now. They're getting a lot of players from Central America, like from Honduras, uh, El Salvador. And uh, I guess that's, they're basically trying to attract people from that area. So uh, that's why a lot of teams are doing, um, bringing in players like from all over Latin America to, really? to get like different people there that would normally not go watch the team. To get more fans by yes. bringing in people that they recognize. Um, do you think that by bringing in people, it kind of, uh, from other countries, it kind of lights a fire under the U.S. to kind of be like, hey, if you don't like improve your feeder programs to this, we're going to keep bringing in people from outside uh, kind of as a incentive to like, hey, you should beef these up if you want to see American players in these positions. Yes, definitely. There's actually a lot of controversy with that because people are like, you're bringing all these people from out of, outside of the U.S. instead of developing the Americans, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is, is actually very true. But um, one thing I guess that that we're seeing t- today is a lot of Americans are going to Europe. So we're bringing in young talent from from other countries, and our young talents going to Europe to play to develop in better leagues. But uh, but yeah, as long as we continue developing Americans in the academies and sending them to Europe, I think it'll be okay. But it would it it would be nice to see more Americans in in MLS. But a lot of the hardcore U.S. fans are like that don't care for MLS. They're like, no, we don't want the the good Americans playing in MLS because it's going to make them not develop well. It, we actually saw like a lot of Americans come to MLS in the last few years, like Josie Altidore, Michael Bradley, Clint Dempsey. They're some of the the bigger names. They came to MLS, and now a lot of people are blaming MLS for them not qualifying to the World Cup. But there was other controversies that the players talked about that was not related to MLS. I mean, the players are still great. Josie Altidore, he's being seek by a lot of Italian teams at the moment. So he's still good. MLS did not hinder his growth. You keep mentioning the World Cup. How many countries are currently like fighting for positions in the World Cup? Uh, so at the moment, um, it's 32 teams. Uh, it's been like that since 2002, 1998, actually. The last time the U.S. hosted it, 94. They only have 24 teams. Okay. Um, but the next time the U.S. hosted in 2026, they're actually going to expand it again. They're going to add 16 more teams, I believe. Like right now with the 32-team system, um, North America, Central America, and Caribbean, they have 3.5 spots. So basically three teams qualify automatically, and a fourth team goes on and plays a playoff against some other region to try to qualify. 
have you ever gone to like a world cup game or anything like that uh not world cup unfortunately um i will definitely go to a world cup game in, t- in 2026 at least one i want to see the u.s play and hopefully El Salvador qualifies too <laughs> but um i've been to other big big games like um copa america uh, it's a it's ha- it's been around for like over 100 years uh, it normally happens in south america uh but for the 100th anniversary they actually brought it to the u.s so it'd be in like ter- a territory that was not anyone from south america Kind of um, like an unbiased yes, yes, middle ground. Yes, exactly. A middle ground territory. Um, so I went, actually got to see... The U.S. actually made it to the semifinal in that tournament, which is a really big deal because that's probably the third biggest um, international tournament after the World Cup and the European um, Championship. Okay. Um, and the U.S. actually managed to make it to, to the Final Four, so that was a really big deal. And it was great because the semifinal was in Houston, so I actually got to go see it. I got to go see the U.S. versus Argentina. That was, that was amazing. I got to see Messi which is one of the best players in the world right now, score a really amazing free kick. Like there's the World Cup. Uh, there's also like the Gold Cup, right? Which one's the one that like the women's national team plays in? Okay, so the, the, the women's um, soccer is exactly the same as men's soccer as far as they're being international, and there's also clubs. Like we actually, the United States actually has a women's professional league. Mm-hmm. Houston has a team. Um, and there's like there's like only like eight women's teams at the moment, though. But um, it's the same, same type of thing. Um, the best players from that country, they get together in the national team and they compete in different tournaments, whether it's the the CONCACAF. CONCACAF is the, our region, which is North America, Central America, and Caribbean. They compete in that tournament. The U.S. is actually one of the top teams in the world in, in uh, female soccer, so that's, that's awesome for us. Um, so they usually win the our region's tournament. Right. Uh, <laughs> and then um, they, can, uh, they, they also qualify just like the men in the region for the World Cup. And then in the World Cup, they compete with teams from all over the world. I believe there's less teams in the in the female World Cup at the moment, but uh, the U.S. has actually been dominant in that. We've actually won, I believe, three World Cups right now for the for the women. So, so what's what would you say is different between the women's soccer team and the men's soccer team? Because the U.S. winning the World Cup and the men's is kind of like a dream, like. People don't expect it to happen, but if we get close, it's amazing. Whereas, like, it's almost expected for the women's national team to win or get close. So what's the difference between the two, and how do we have that disparity? I think it's one of those things where, like, when I first um, came to the U.S., soccer was kind of viewed as, like, a female sport. Like, anytime I told someone I like soccer, they're like, oh, you like a girl sport. I was a kid. But um, <laughs> but that's just how, like, Americans viewed the sport. They're, they viewed it, viewed it as it wasn't, like, I guess manly enough, like, football or whatever. Uh, so there was a lot of um, push for girls being in soccer. And it was actually big amongst uh, like, girls. So because of that, uh, it took a lot longer for, I guess, the men's team to really start developing and... I mean, it didn't qualify to the World Cup since the early years until like 1990. So it it was absent for a while. But um, because they got to host it, I I feel like when they hosted the World Cup in 1994, they were able to start putting more effort into making the U.S. team better. And it also brought about MLS, which also made people like watch men playing soccer for for the first time for for a lot of people. Um, And by doing that, they were able to actually... um, get more fans um, on the on the men's side. Um, while that was happening, um, the U.S., unlike most European countries, were still developing their, their female soccer team. Like, I feel like most of the, Europe, for instance, which has the, the best soccer players in the world, they're concentrating on their men's sports. Okay. Um, they didn't put a lot of, there wasn't a lot of push for 
uh, female sports in Europe. Um, so we, I feel like because of that, the U.S. just had an initial advantage with women's soccer. Um, they were just very dominant. No one really could compete with them. I think now there's more of a push for uh, women's soccer around Europe, for instance. Um, so I feel like now the European teams are starting to, in Brazil, uh, they're starting to kind of catch up to, to the U.S. as far as, far as women's soccer goes. Um, like now you don't see the U.S. winning everything anymore. Now the games are a lot closer. Um, you see Germany, Brazil, England, France, they're actually competing like in the Olympics and in um, the World Cup against the U.S. now. We've been talking for 40, 45-ish minutes. Um, how do you feel? How do you currently feel having spent so much time talking about soccer and explaining things to me that I should know but don't or things that I just had no clue on? I think it's great because um, it's something I usually don't get to talk about. And if I do, they're like, why are you talking about soccer? Whether it's at work or around friends. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's great to have the opportunity to express myself about soccer in general or overall. Um, And hopefully someone will learn a thing or two and maybe give soccer a try. Do you think that it's uh, generally hard to talk with someone when they're talking about something you don't know about? So like if someone were to come to you with, um, a bunch of knowledge about a topic that you don't know. Do you do you think it's hard for you to also do the engaging portion of it? I'd say yes, yes, it is. Like with anything, if you if you don't really know much about the subject, you have like less interest in it. Right. So it's harder to like really even give them a chance, which is probably why people don't give like soccer as much of a chance. Um, but I mean, usually I I try to hear them out and see like what they like about it. What's one thing that you want? anyone listening slash me to take away about soccer that would spark interest or just get people to understand better? I'd say uh, give it a chance. Um, Just because someone says it's bad does not mean it's bad. A lot of those people have probably never watched soccer game before, maybe haven't watched one in like years, uh, which is probably true for like MLS. Like if you watched MLS 10 years ago, it's not the same MLS that there is now. So if you live in the city that has a, a professional soccer team, Maybe go watch, go watch a game. Go give give them a chance. Thanks for talking with me. Really appreciate it. I know we've talked soccer a lot over the years, but this was more of like a deep dive. I think. Um, how much soccer knowledge do you think you talked about percentage wise? Percentage wise, that's really hard to say. I probably not even fifty percent. Like like ten percent. Ten. Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, you've got stats and names and things up right. there. Right. That's insane. Um, so thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. And, uh, thank you everyone for listening. I'll catch you next time on episode, this is three. So the next one will be episode four of Heart's Content.